Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. And that's our regular viewers that are tuning in that I'm talking to. They know what we're going to do. They know for 30 minutes we're going to answer as many Bible questions as we can. If you happen to be a first-time viewer, uh, let me explain. That's what we do. We take viewers' questions, and there's a phone number and a website on the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime you want. Uh, tell us whatever's on your mind about the Bible. A lot of people have questions about the Bible. They've always wondered, what's this mean, or is that really in the Bible, or what's the Bible say about this current event or this life topic? Uh, and we'll try to find you an answer. So that's what we do. We hope that helps you know your Bible a little bit better, a little different than most religious TV programs. Instead of telling you what we think you need to know, uh, we answer what you want to know. So let us know what you'd like us to talk about. You direct the program. Let me introduce Toby Levering, who helps answer questions every week. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go here. we got uh, some good ones coming up, but we always have one for our viewers first to uh, see if they know a little bit of Bible knowledge. This one's about a mother that brought her son a coat every year. He got a new coat every year. Uh, not to start school, but just a new coat every year. Uh, so if you know who she is and who the son was, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program and uh, see if you know you and your family know that one. Good story. All right, uh, Toby drew the first one and our old friend the Antichrist. Yeah, People of, wonder about him. Lots of books and videos <laughs> have been written about the Antichrist. We're going to try to answer it about three minutes or less. <laughs> Who or what is the Antichrist? Well, the, the, the term the Antichrist is used exactly four times in the Scripture, and we're going to look at all four real quickly. Uh, you'll find them in First and Second John, First uh, John chapter two, verses eighteen and twenty-two. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Now, First John chapter 4, verse 3, John writes, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. And then from Second John chapter 1, verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now, as I said, lots of books and movies and frankly lots of money have been made over uh, a lot of uh, concern about who the Antichrist is. But when you simply open the Word and read the Scriptures very clearly, uh, usually it's pictured as one person 
and he's coming in the future and he's going to you know be the the leader of a revolt against god and and he's going to round up all of god's people and it's just it's all built up so differently from what the scripture plainly says first of all we're told that the antichrist it wasn't just the antichrist singular it was the antichrist and that many of them existed not just in the future but exi existed way back in the first century uh, it wasn't just one person it could be anyone who denies Jesus as the Christ um, they were in the world back then they're in the world now and they'll be in the world in the future the Antichrists are deceptive people who deny Jesus didn't deny his deity, deny that he is coming and, and that he is returning and that he came in the flesh. So uh, it's very clear that Antichrist is just a general descriptive term used uh, to apply to those people. Um, when you read and read books and movies that kind of focus on the opposite idea, you need to go back to the word and simply understand that the Antichrist could be anyone uh, who chooses to deny Jesus and chooses to deny the things which he taught. So uh, it simply means one who is anti-Christ, and that's who it is, uh, and it's more than, more than one person. It could <laughs> be right. anybody. All right, very good. Uh, reprobate. You may have heard that word. Sometimes we call somebody that old reprobate. Uh, <laughs> means he's got no hope, I guess. Just no no chance for him. Uh, but this viewer says, what's a reprobate mind? And that is in the Bible. So good question. We'll just read the verse where it is. And I think the verse will explain what a reprobate mind is. So let's look at uh, Romans one twenty eight. Uh, Paul's talking about the decline of mankind when they reject God here in this passage. And he says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved, my, this translation says, other translations say reprobate or debased mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Okay, there's your answer. First of all, they know about God. They can look in nature and see that there is a God, but they choose not to retain the knowledge of God. They don't admit that there's a God. They don't acknowledge God. So they have a reprobate, debased, depraved mind, and they do what ought not to be done. They're filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Okay, that's a reprobate mind. If somebody that, uh, in fact, Paul says earlier in that passage that the people are without excuse. If you look at creation, you know there's a God. So to say there's not a God is denying the knowledge of God. And you, people do that so they can do whatever they want. That's why the doctrine of evolution is so popular, because it gives people a supposed way to deny that God has anything to do with this world. And if God doesn't have anything to do with this world, then you can do anything you want. Uh, and that leads to a reprobate or a depraved mind. Uh, when you get all of the teachings of the Bible, all the moral teachings of the world out, uh, you end up with a reprobate mind, and you do nothing but evil. So that's what a reprobate mind is, one that denies God, 
that doesn't recognize God and that does nothing but wrong and evil because they don't give any consideration to God or His moral laws. So that's a reprobate mind. All right, I have a question about another religion and uh, what is the difference between the Catholic Church and the Church of Christ? And I want to start out by saying we hasten to not pick on other groups or be experts about anyone else's uh, faith or, or anything like that. But if you have asked for the difference, I'm going to try to be objective about it and, uh, and try to keep uh, those who may be of the Catholic Church that are watching or have family that attend there to try to be uh, fair, <laughs> fair and balanced, so to speak. Uh, I would say that the main difference between the Catholic Church and the Church of Christ uh, has to do with the authority that we view. Uh, in the Churches of Christ, we believe uh, that the Word of God is the ultimate authority on what we teach, on what we practice, on everything that we do. Uh, those in the Catholic Church, I believe, also believe the Word of God, but they also, uh, on equal authority, put the teachings of the Catholic Church. Uh, and so it's the Word of God plus whatever the Church teaches. And uh, that, I'd say, is a, is a very big difference between the Catholic Church and the Churches of Christ. Uh, the organization of the Catholic Church is a lot different as well. Uh, it's structured where it... Uh, you've got one guy in charge, the Pope, and you've got many uh, different levels of authority in the Word, in, I'm sorry, in the church. In the churches of Christ, whenever you attend one, you know, every church is uh, independent uh, and it's governed usually by a group of elders. If they don't have enough for a group of elders, then perhaps by just a few men of the congregation, but one church really has no oversight or input into another Church of Christ, and that's another big difference. So um, where all, all of the differences, I think, come down to those two differences, the authority, how you view the authority, we would, you know, sola scriptura, the Word alone, and the Catholic Church believes uh, it's the Word plus the teachings of the Church, and then also how they're organized. Uh, and so I think any question we get about Catholic doctrine has to do with uh, that view of you know what's true and who's, who's in charge of saying what's true. Yep. And so we believe that's just the Word alone, and you stick with the Word and study the Word, and it'll lead you where you need to go. Okay, yep, very good explanation. I think that's the, the basic difference. Uh, and we have some folks of the Catholic persuasion that watch this program and mm -hmm. pay attention to us. I've got one uh, special friend, I've never met her, but she <laughs> communicates with me a lot, uh, sends us questions, and especially when we talk about a Catholic doctrine or something. And uh, she gives, she writes wonderful emails and very passionate and very well explained and all that. Uh, but she explains from the Catholic Church teaching mm -hmm. uh, being equivalent to the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told her one time kindly, and I hope she took it kindly, that you know, if this program was Know Your Catholic Doctrine, uh, she w should be on the program. I mean, she <laughs> knows the answer and does an excellent job of explaining it, uh, but we've called it Know Your Bible, and yeah. that's the only way we can answer is straight from the Scripture and all that. So uh, I think that's a good explanation of the main difference, and that leads to a number of other differences. Mm -hmm. But 
uh, good folks, very sincere, and they just consider a different authority mm -hmm. than we do. All right, let me uh, take just a moment to tell you a way to study the Bible, and that's what we advocate is just studying the Bible all by itself. Uh, we've got some courses that will help you do that. We send them to you absolutely free of charge. Uh, we pay the postage. doesn't take anything but a little bit of your time. And what you'll get to start with is a series of lessons that looks like this. Uh, there's eight of them, and they're just a bunch of different Bible topics, a good not tied to any denomination or creed or anything else. It's just Bible study. And it starts with the place you ought to start in studying the Bible is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see the first two lessons right there, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, when you're done with those two, you'll know a lot more about why your Bible's divided in two parts what those parts are about, and it'll help you answer a lot of questions that we get on this program. So a uh, great way to get started in Bible study, good foundation, help you form a regular habit of Bible study, hopefully. And uh, we've got more advanced courses beyond this one that we're happy to keep sending you, and you can study for a long time with Know Your Bible Study tools. All right, uh, oh, website and phone number on the screen. Uh, you just use those anytime and tell us you'd like that course. We'll get started for you. All right, uh, what's the Bible teach on swearing? Well, I can answer this a number of different ways, so I'll just try to cover all three of them very quickly. Uh, first of all, some people call swearing when you use God's name in vain. Uh, and that's technically not swearing. Uh, it's blasphemy or it's using God's name in vain. It, and in vain means without meaning. Uh, so if you say, by Jehovah I'll do so and so, uh, if you just say that flippantly and don't really mean it, uh, you're using his name in vain. If you're going to use it, be very respectful about it and uh, all of that. Some the Jews were so serious about that they wouldn't even pronounce his name. Uh, so that's using his name in vain and that's not technically swearing. Another thing people call swearing is profanity. Uh, obscene. They say, well, he swears a lot. Uh, he uses dirty words a lot. And if you're talking about that kind of swearing, the Bible does talk about that. And let's look at that answer in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he said, uh, uh, among you, uh, we'll, not, we'll get it on the screen here in a minute anyhow, among you, there it is, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be, here, pay attention here, there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So what's the Bible say about swearing? If you're talking about profanity and obscene talk, the Bible says Christians don't do that. Uh, we, we speak good things. We give thanks. We don't uh, use coarse talk. We don't tell dirty jokes. Uh, we don't swear in that way. So if you're talking about swearing being that, there's your answer. Don't do it. Uh, the third one is some people talk about swearing as taking a vow or an oath. Uh, like when you go to court. I swear uh, to tell the truth. With your hand on the Bible, uh, by the name of God, I swear to tell the truth. Okay, that's swearing, uh, taking an oath, making a vow. And the Bible does talk about that also. 
And uh, Matthew chapter 5 is a good place to read about that. Jesus said, I say, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. All right, now if you read the context, go back a little ways, uh, you'll find out that the Jews had an elaborate system of oaths. Uh, they didn't swear by Jehovah or by God uh, because they wouldn't say that name. Uh, but they would swear, I swear by the temple, I swear by the altar, I swear by Jerusalem. And they had this system where some of those were serious and some of them weren't. And so it got so complicated and Jesus just said, don't take oaths like that. Uh, if you say yes, mean yes. If you say no, mean no. And we know people like that. You know people that uh, they'll say, well, I'm going to do this. Well, you sure? I swear I'm going to do this. Well, are you really sure? I swear by so-and-so I'm going to do this. And the higher their swear <laughs> or vow or oath, uh, the more they're really promising. Well, Jesus said Christians shouldn't be like that. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say yes, mean yes. If you say no, mean no. So there's a Bible verse about taking vows or oath. Now, when you go to court, uh, there is a way if you don't want to swear, because this verse seems to you to mean not to swear in any way, uh, then they'll let you promise or affirm that you're going to tell the truth. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with a Christian affirming by God that they will tell the truth, uh, as long as then they tell the truth. Uh, but be serious about it if you do. So it depends what kind of swearing you're talking about. The Bible talks about most of them and gives you an answer there for them. All right, Toby, carry on here. I, I may stir up some people <laughs> in this next one, but we talked about it last week and got another question. A medical doctor wants to know what the Bible says about marijuana. Okay, well, uh, as you may uh, surmise, the word marijuana is not in the Scripture. So what we, what we do when we are trying to consider how the Bible applies to, toward a life issue or something, and it doesn't directly address, then we back up and we look for biblical principles that tell us uh, how to live and, and some generalities. And so I'm going to give you some principles. They won't be on the screen, but you're welcome to look them up. The first is uh, taking care of your body and not abusing it. Um, I, I think you know, putting drugs of really of any type you have to be careful, um, and that's why you know you, your doctor has to prescribe it, and you have to get a prescription. Uh, any type of drug is is a foreign substance being introduced into your body, and some are helpful, but many are harmful. And if, certainly, if they're not taken for uh, in the right dosage and all of that, so just a simple principle of taking care of your body because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We probably could spend the rest of the program talking about stories of folks who have uh, started with marijuana and then that just led them into all sorts of other uh, horrible drugs and it just did a number on their body. They physically look 30 years older than they are uh, because it's been so hard on them. And the scripture says you get one and you got to take care of it. If you're a Christian, 
Uh, that body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where He resides. Number two, uh, you're, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 is that reference. Secondly, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 uh, says that we shouldn't let other things master us, rule over us. And I think, especially with illegal drugs, um, it's easy to get into an um, addiction where you're ruled by something. And you can go to CR or AA and very quickly see that there are a lot of people who struggle with addiction and they will tell you freely that they are ruled by that thing and they have to work very hard to stay, uh, stay away from it so that they don't become ruled by it. Second Peter 2, 19 and 20 tells us we shouldn't be let anything master us. Um, uh, the third one is we should be self-controlled and alert. First Peter 5, 8 says be self-controlled and alert as your enemy seeks to devour you. Um, means you got to be able to pay attention. Uh, I think one of the, the worst things, or one of the, the harmful consequences of any type of drug is that it affects your ability to pay attention, to be alert. Um, it affects the senses of the body and it affects your thinking. And so that's going to be dangerous um, and you need to be self-controlled and alert. And finally, First, First Corinthians 8 verses 9 to 13, we have to consider our example. Uh, if you're a Christian, then your job is to make disciples and to help other people know Christ and grow in Christ. And what kind of example do you set in using illegal drugs? And that, of course, that would all of these apply to, toward a Christian. Now let's look at one on the screen, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Titus writes, For the grace of God has appeared that, that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Um, I can think that there are far more harmful effects than there are benefits of using marijuana. Uh, of course, that doesn't say that directly in the Bible, but we've got to think principally. All right, you got a medical doctor. I got scientists here All coming right. up. The viewer says God has set a limit on the length of human life, but scientists say they can double that lifespan. Now, what would God say to these scientists? Well, let's establish the first part. Did God set a limit on human life? And Psalm 90, verse 10 does seem to say that. It says, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Okay, now that's a generalization. Uh, everybody knows somebody that lived past 80, uh, but God does say there that uh, an average life's around 70 or 80, and we know that's pretty well true. Uh, we've got a great lady at Northside that celebrated her 102nd birthday a few months ago. Uh, so we know people that get past 80. Now, I don't expect Winnie to live to 140, uh, but she sure got past 100 in fine shape. And uh, we're proud of her and thank God that she's had such a long, blessed life. But that verse is a generalization. Most people, and you look at life insurance and actuarials and all that, yeah, that's pretty close. Uh, we're getting a little bit older these days, but not a whole lot. Uh, so there is kind of a limit there, I guess you'd say. Now, as far as scientists saying we're going to get that to 140 or 160 or 200 or whatever they claim, uh, this viewer wants to know, what would God say to them? Obviously, I don't know what God would say to them, but I did find a couple of verses that I thought he might say to them. So let's look at those. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
All right, scientists may think they're going to double it, uh, but God will decide whether they double it or not. If he wants them to, I guess he could let them, but uh, he establishes their steps. And then the one I really like is Psalm 2, 4. It says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. <laughs> so, And that passage is about kings and other people that say, I'm going to do this, and this is what we're going to do. And I think scientists could be included in that. Uh, God laughs. He scoffs at them. He, he knows what's going to happen, and he knows they're wrong, perhaps. So maybe God would say those things, and maybe it's in his will that we do live longer and longer. But 70, 80 probably is about right. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right, let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, the Churches of Christ keep us on the air, and we like to thank somebody each week for helping us stay on the air. Today, let me talk about the Watermill Church of Christ in Springfield, Missouri. Great bunch of folks there. I was there not too many months ago and uh, spent some time with them and got to know some of the folks there. Uh, met some folks that are there because they started visiting after what, seeing this on Know Your Bible. I dropped in and got to hear Brother Bill McFarland preach and enjoyed being with the family there. And now they're a part of the family there. So Watermill Church Christ in Springfield, great group of folks. Thank them for keeping us on the air. And if you're searching for a church home, uh, you won't find a friendlier bunch of folks than you will there. So drop in and visit them. All right, tell me what do you got here? A uh, small church question. A viewer asks, is a small church with no elders or deacons still a scriptural church? And my answer to that is yes. I think there are uh, examples in the scripture of churches that weren't yet to a point of size where they had men who were qualified or uh, they had not uh, grown to a point where they... Uh, had them yet, and I think they were still a church. I do think it is good for a church to have elders and deacons if possible because that's the way God designed it, and God's way of designing things is always the best way. Uh, but there's, that doesn't mean that without them you're an unscriptural church. Uh, you just have to work to that. You think if a church is a new plant and lots of young, new Christians, they need some time and maturity. But uh, Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 1, Verse 5, he said, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, those churches were already there, but it was up to Titus. He's calling them out to, to appoint some elders to direct the affairs of the church. So uh, it's good to get to that point, but you need men who are scripturally qualified, as you'll find in in uh, Titus 1 verses 5 through 9 and 1 Timothy 3 1 through 13. So pay attention to the qualifications for the men you select because it's very important to select the right kind of men to be the leaders in God's church. So can a church still be scriptural without them? Yes. Should they try to grow to that if they can and uh, get elders and deacons? Yes, I think. But in the meantime, you know, whatever way they can find a self-governor, is uh, it would just do what's according to the Bible. All right, very good. We're out of time for questions, but uh, we do have time to answer our, a beginning question, a little trivia question. Uh, there's a mother in the Bible that brought her son a new coat every year. She made him a new coat and took it to him. And you may wonder why she had to take a coat to him. Well, it was because it was Hannah and the boy was Samuel. And if you remember a few weeks ago, our question was about that. Hannah gave Samuel to the Lord, took him to the temple, told Eli the priest to raise Samuel, and 
dedicate him to God. So every year she visited, I think she visited more often than that maybe, but uh, when she did visit once a year she'd bring him a new coat as he grew up. So good story in the Bible there. We're glad you've been with us today and we're going to hope you come back next week to watch more of your questions. Till then you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.